Great. Well, um, let's look at the Bible together now. We're going to um, talk about God and Jesus. If you're new here, this is what we do regularly. We read scripture and we preach about it. We're starting a new series today, uh, which, we're calling, uh, which we're calling Wise Up, Advice for All of Life. And this is our summer series. It's going to take us right through the summer. And if you read the Bible for, in any depth, you'll notice straight away there's a number of books of the Bible that devote themselves to this particular genre of stuff. So there's books like Psalms and Proverbs and Songs and Ecclesiastes and in the New Testament, James, which have this sort of proverbial style of presenting wisdom to us as human beings. And over these summer months, a number of uh, voices are going to be speaking to us on this subject, and we're really pleased about that. As uh, Luke mentioned last week, Matthew and Anne are going to be taking some sabbatical time over the summer, but we're going to be hearing some other good voices. We're going to hear from Andy and Karen and Mike and Gordon and Dave and others, so that's going to be really great. So let's read uh, these verses from James chapter 3 today. I thought this would be a good way into this subject of wisdom for living for us. So this is James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. It kicks off straight away with this question, which is to us as much as it was to the original recipients of this letter from James. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? The question is, who is wise? And that question is today as relevant as it ever has been. What is wisdom? If you were here last Sunday, then you'd have seen Luke put up a a sort of a leaflet presented by Edinburgh Council where it was kind of the Edinburgh Boast leaflet, really, where they were saying how well we're doing. And you could summarize that leaflet with all its sort of wonderful statistics. And the image they were presenting, and which is partly true, is this, that it was Edinburgh, healthy, wealthy, and wise. And uh, on that last point, the fascinating thing is this. Do you know that in Edinburgh, allegedly 52% of adults have degrees? Isn't that amazing? That's the high, it's the most highly educated city in the whole of the United Kingdom in terms of degrees per head. And uh, many of you here would be degree educated. And for, for some of you, when, when you ask the question, well, who is wise and understanding among you, there would be some of us that would kind of half put our hand up and say, you know what, I've got a, I've got a good bit of knowledge here. <laughs> if you just get me on my subject in the right pub quiz, I could actually wipe the floor with you. <laughs> For others, you might think, well, actually, wise is the one word I wouldn't describe my past life as being because I've made so many mistakes. And actually, my friends and myself, we wouldn't actually use that word about me because I don't feel like I'm a wise person. And it's important to define this word wisdom correctly as we look at this series because 
one of the mistakes that we can make with it is we, we interchange it with the word knowledge. We think, well, wisdom, knowledge, that's kind of the same thing, to know about something. In fact, we, we live in one of the most learned cultures in the whole world. And pretty much everywhere in the world now, you're never far away from Google, where, by which you can find out pretty much everything you know. Do you remember those conversations in the old days where you'd sit around the table and you'd chat and you'd all conclude, well, I just don't know the answer to that question. No longer the case, is it? Because somebody just goes on the smartphone and says, I've got it. I've got it. Who won Wimbledon in 1923? I've got it right there. And we're never far from knowledge. We live in Edinburgh, which is the seat of the Scottish Parliament. People are going to politics. They go into politics because they feel like they've got some wisdom to offer, something that could actually be helpful to other people. But wisdom is more than knowledge. It's more than knowing stuff. You see, you can accumulate all sorts of knowledge and yet not have wisdom. Because wisdom is the correct application of knowledge. It's to make the right decisions with the knowledge that you have. There's a Mark Twain quote that I love, which is, he said, he said I find it confusing when people say to me they struggle with the bits of the Bible they don't understand. He says, me, I struggle with the bits of the Bible I do understand. <laughs> Wisdom is to take knowledge and to apply it in your life and to do something with it. Do you know, you might not even be a Christian here today or not sure if you are, because actually you can know a lot about God, you can know a lot about the Bible, you can know a lot about Jesus, you can know that he died on a cross and that he, his, he took the sin of the world and that he rose again on the third day and he's alive today. You can know all of that, yet you cannot apply it to your life. See, there are many people in the world that acknowledge that Jesus is a special person and that he, he lived and died, but it's a different thing to actually apply that knowledge and say, you know what, I'm going to change my life and I'm going to live for him and I'm going to apply his sacrifice into my life. Maybe today that needs to apply to your life and there'll be an opportunity for you to, to do that later on. But even if you've been a Christian for decades here, it's not about past decisions, it's about the decisions that you're making today and tomorrow and next week and next year. It's about the life connection with God. Wisdom is not about past knowledge or past failure. Jesus told a story in the Bible, a famous story about two builders. And one of those builders was a a bit of a fly-by-night, corner-cutting uh, cowboy builder. Who would have believed that 2,000 years ago that builders would have had such a reputation? Yet this guy, he turns up and he wants to build a house. And so he looks out for a nice place to build his house and he goes to the beach and he says, gosh, this is really flat. I could build a really big house here and the sea looks like it's miles away. Nice flat surface. So he builds his house dead quick, dead cheap. And then there's another guy, and he, he says he's a builder as well. And he thinks, cool, don't like the look of that house. And so he chisels his house into the rock, and he takes time, and it's hard effort, and there's lots of sweat and tears that go into it. But he builds his house, it takes longer, and it's harder. But you know the story. The rain came down, the floods came up. And what happened to the house on the rock? It stood firm. And what happened to the house on the sand? It fell flat. Now, we often sing that thing in Sunday school, but this is the point that Jesus made in that parable. At the end, after he told the story, he says, this is the point, in case you missed it. 
Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. See, Jesus said at the start of that parable, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, yet you do not do what I say? He tells the story and then he says, this is what it means to be wise. It's to take my words and to put them into practice in your life. And these verses that we read today are talking about how you wisely put God's word into practice in your life. And it says there are two types of wisdom. There's a wisdom that's from above, that's God's wisdom. And there's a wisdom of the earth. That's the wisdom that we're kind of born into and that our culture thrives on. Earthly wisdom is always a mixture of good things, bad things. In fact, in those verses you read, it said it's earthly, unspiritual, can be demonic. But has this quality about it that it's a self-centered wisdom. When we talk about two types of wisdom, straight away the Bible is telling us to, to look very differently about our lives. You see, what the world says is this, that there are a million types of wisdom. And all you have to do is find the correct path for your own individual life and you'll be fine. I, I love this uh, cartoon. I don't know if you can actually read the words, but it says, Stanley was deeply disappointed when high in the Tibetan mountains he finally found his true self. And what you find is that there's an earthly wisdom and it's self-seeking. It's all about you and finding your destiny and your path. And ultimately that's disappointing because all you ever find is the you that you always were back at the start of the journey again. But human wisdom has its good points. I read a Richard Branson um, article a couple of years ago and he had 10 words of wisdom for successful living. And, and I thought, this is fun. I mean, uh, who wouldn't read an article by Richard Branson? He's a millionaire and he's got his own island and he's got 10 points that you could do the same. So I thought, why not? Let's try that. <laughs> but his points were fairly ordinary and fairly good, mostly. They were sort of like, well, follow your dreams, make a difference, believe in yourself, have fun, don't give up. His last one was a bit out there. It says, always have a sofa in your kitchen, <laughs> which I haven't achieved that one yet. But many of the others, I think I tend to agree with those. See, there are many things about this world that, that we would agree, even as Christians, we think, well, there's some amazing things. I went to a, a school, um, end of year school church service thing, which those things are always slightly ironic because they're just nothing to do with God at all. They have a prayer at the beginning and end and everything else is about school in between. But the three things that they were being encouraged as children to enjoy were the importance of medicine, the importance of technology, and the, the importance of human beings and how great we are. And they, they were all valid, good points totally missed God in the process, but it was human wisdom. It was an earthly wisdom. And there are good things about that, but it can miss this heavenly wisdom. And the Bible is calling us to receive a heavenly wisdom which is so superior to any earthly wisdom. And there are three points that I want us to uh, look at today, three principles for acquiring this heavenly wisdom wisdom that is available to you today. Firstly is this, put God first. This wisdom is from above. It comes from outside of ourself. The starting place for true wisdom is to put God first in your life. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. 
If you want wisdom in your life, you are wise to say, well, I'd better get God right at the center of my life. There's quite a, a famous but probably untrue story about a chief executive who uh, goes into his boardroom one day and they're having a strategy meeting with all his kind of board members. And instead of just getting to the agenda, he goes in with a bucket and he bangs it down on the table with some bricks next to it. He says, we're doing something different today, guys. How many of these bricks do you think I can get in the bucket? And they all hazard a guess. And, and he fills the, the, the bucket with bricks. And he says, do you think this bucket is now full? And they all sort of chime in, yes, boss. And he says, hang on a minute. And he, he gets some pebbles from under the table. And he pours some pebbles into the bucket. And it fills the holes between the bricks. He says, he says uh, what do you think now? Is it full? And they kind of look slightly more wary. And they say, yeah, it's pretty full. And then he gets some sand from under the desk, and he, fills, he pours the sand in, and he shuggles it down, and uh, he fills it right up to sand as much as he can. And he says, what about now? I, th I think, what would you think? Is that full? And there's a, quite a few of them who are going, yeah, yeah, it's definitely full. And then he gets some water, and he pours the water in until the water has got a meniscus on the top of the bucket, and it's overflowing. He says, he says, I think we can agree that this is now full. And they all nod their heads in agreement. He says, now... Team, what important principle have I taught you today? And they all begin to mutter things about, no matter how many tasks your boss gives you, so you can always fill in a few more into your day. <laughs> or the importance of time management, those sorts of things. And he says, no, no, no. He says, the only thing I want you to remember from today is this, that if you're going to put bricks in a bucket, you have to do it at the beginning. If you're going to learn wisdom, the very first and fundamental principle is to get the big bricks in first, to get God in your life. This world, we love to segregate. People, uh, in a secular world, people love to segregate and say, well, you know, keep your religion in your church or in your home. But actually, for a Christian, that's impossible to do because everything we do is worship to God. And if you're a scientist looking down a microscope, you're looking at the very creation of God and worshipping God as you do that, and you enjoy that. If you're a teacher, then at the very heart of your desire to teach and educate is a desire to love and serve other people that comes from God. Wisdom is to put God first in your life. Whatever you find yourself doing in this life, then put God at the center. You see, the starting place for false wisdom is rebellion away from God. What you notice, do you see how this was written? He says that these two types of wisdom, these two kinds of wisdom... And what you find out is this, that well, one wisdom is true wisdom, the other one is false wisdom. Now, the thing about false wisdom is, it doesn't have a sign on it that says false wisdom. There's not signs on things that say, stupid people make this decision. Everything poses as being wise. If you were to go back to Genesis chapter 2, where the serpent tempts Eve in the Garden of Eden... What do you find him tempting her with? He, see, God has given her wisdom. She, she is enjoying the garden with her husband, Adam. Yet the serpent comes and he says, when, he says, it says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. This was the temptation of the serpent. He says, if you eat this fruit from this tree... This is like wisdom mark two. It's like wisdom plus. It's like God's wisdom, but even better. Now, 
we live in a very progressive society where people, and some elements of progressivism are good. But the dangers of it are this, that within that mixture of things that are good are also things that are harmful. So we must be constantly aware that when something poses as being wise and good and progressive, that isn't always godly. And that's not always going to be good for us. Be careful where you buy your wisdom from. God spoke through the prophet Isaiah to a people who'd disappeared off to worshipping idols. And he said, why do you spend your money on what is not bread? Jesus said, what good is it to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? See, human wisdom might have benefits in this life, but God's wisdom gets us through this life, through death and into the life to come. True wisdom puts God's first. Here's the second principle of true wisdom. It's to be sought. We've got to seek it. It's a gift from God. In James chapter 1, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God and he will give it to you. Wisdom isn't something that we acquire. It's something that God gives. So if you want to be wise, then you need to get in the habit of coming before God and saying, God, would you help me? God, would you give me wisdom? It's not primarily about age. Age is age and experience go together, and age and wisdom should go together. And oftentimes they can and they will. But I was fascinated. I read an article a couple of years ago, and somebody had written had done a bit of very basic research on in palliative care homes where they'd gone around patients who were suffering terminal illness, and they were they asked them what their top five regrets about their life lived had been. And I sort of read the article, and I read the regrets, and they weren't... The thing that, that, that I guess I found with it was it, none of it shocked me. None of it surprised me. See, the, the, the regrets, they weren't kind of uh, pivotal kind of revelations. It's not like somebody said, wow, I wish this had happened. Or, uh, th- these were just very ordinary bits of wisdom that I think, you know, a, a 20-year-old... I've heard a 20-year-old say that same thing. I wish I'd lived for myself more. I wish I'd made myself happier. I wish I'd followed my dream. I wish I'd worked less. I think, well, I've heard 20-year-olds say that same thing. See, you can actually just grow older and have the wisdom of a 20-year-old, or you can grow older and wiser in the wisdom of God. In uh, Job chapter 32, Job's a, a troubled man, and there's lots of people who try and give him advice. And they all give him really terrible advice and tell him why things are going wrong for his life. And there's this young guy called Elihu. And he's young, and he lets all the others speak first because they're older, and he thinks, well, they should be wiser. And as they speak, one after the other, he just gets more and more frustrated. And in Job chapter 32, he says this. He says, I thought age should speak, advanced years should teach wisdom. But it is the spirit in a person, the breath of the Almighty, that gives them understanding. It's not only the old who are wise, not only the aged who understand what is right. See, if wisdom is about making right choices and it's a gift from God, it's available to you and to me as well. And as you grow older in experience, then you get this practice of asking God and receiving wisdom and applying it correctly. It's to be sought. Here's the third principle about wisdom. Don't lose it. Don't let go of it. Look after it. See, if it's true to say that knowledge 
is in the bank. You can get a degree, you can have some learning, you can learn things from life, and you can put that in the bank and think, I remember that, I know that principle, I know that idea. That's in the past. But wisdom, however, requires constant attention, constant application. It needs constant connection to God, a bit like your broadband connection. It needs to be constantly connected. Otherwise, you're there and you think, I just can't get the stuff out because you need connection with God. There was a famous king in the Bible called Solomon. And he came to the throne of Israel as a very young man. His, his David, king, father David had been a great king. And as he took the throne, God appeared to him in a dream. And God said to him, Solomon, I'm here to help. Ask me for anything and I will give it to you. And Solomon, he says, I'm out of my depth, God. I'm leading a whole nation of people, and I don't know how to do it. Would you give me wisdom to lead? And it says, it says that God was very pleased that Solomon had asked him for wisdom. There's something very important about that for us, that if, we, uh, if you're going to ask God for provision or, or for himself, you're always better to ask God for an attribute that is fully his. So, so Solomon knew that God was all wise, and if he could just get a bit of God in his life, then he could actually make some wise decisions. So it says that God granted his request, said, I'll give you wisdom. He said, and I'll give you everything else as well. I'll give you all the riches and stuff to go with it. The Bible says, seek first God's kingdom, and he will give you all the provision that you need as well. But people came from all over the world to hear Solomon's wisdom. We can't even imagine what that would look like. We're used to the idea in our world where, where world leaders would snuggle up to either America or China or Russia, because in a world like this, you need to snuggle up to somebody, somebody powerful who could look after you in a time of crisis. But that's not why people were drawn to Solomon. Even though he was wealthy and, even though he was wealthy and powerful, people were drawn to him for his wisdom. People sought an audience sent from him from all over the world, kings and queens. The Queen of Sheba would come. And she said, I, I just want to listen to what you say. And people went away happy when they'd heard what he said about stuff. There was a, a famous judgment that's recorded in, uh, one, in one Kings for us that talks about two women who have children. They both have babies. And one of the babies dies in childbirth. And the, the mother whose child died switches her child for the living child while the other one's not looking. And there's a dispute, so they bring it to King Solomon. And this is the accusation, she stole my baby, and she swapped it for her dead baby. I mean, it's times like that, I guess, that you don't want to be a leader. When somebody brings you a decision like that and says, do something about it, There'll be often times, if you're called to leadership, where God will bring something in front of you and you think, well, I haven't got a clue how to sort this out. There's no DNA testing available. There's no way of knowing. They hadn't sort of, there was no giveaway in the way these two women talked. You know, it's not like one of them was touching their nose and kind of kept looking at the floor all the time as she was telling her story. Solomon couldn't tell these two women apart. So what does he do? He, 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 he produces this really edgy bit of wisdom. And he says, uh, okay then, ladies, uh, bring me a sword. And it seems like the only fair way to settle this is to cut the baby in half, the living baby in half, and it's half each. Can't say fairer than that. At which point the true mum says, never, I will never let that happen. The other woman can have my baby. And the other woman says, yeah, I'll cut the baby in half, fine, I don't care. 
So it, it, it works out that, that it produces godly wisdom. Solomon never had an intention of harming the baby. Of course he didn't. But his wisdom drew out the truth in that situation. Yet here's the truth about Solomon. He forfeited his wisdom. He let go of it. He didn't prize it. He didn't guard it. It says in 1 Kings 11, it says, As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of, his David, of David his father had been. This is what happened to Solomon. He took a piece of prized godly wisdom. It concerned marriage. Solomon knew that God's ordinance for marriage was between one man and one woman. That's been taught from the beginning of time. It's there in Genesis. And he says, you know what? I'm pretty rich and powerful and wise. I think I could improve on that. Marriage is under attack in, the same time, in our days as well. His was, this was Solomon's wisdom. He said, I can marry as many women as I like and I'll be fine. He said, in fact, I'll have 700 700 wives and 300 concubines is what Solomon decided was the right number for him. You can see why things went wrong for him, can't you? And it says that these women, they, they weren't God lovers. They turned his heart after idols. What he thought was wise in his own eyes turned out to be ultimately stupid, ultimately futile. It took him away from the very source of wisdom. We lose wisdom when we forfeit it for false wisdom. Solomon lost his connection with God. So here's the question I want to ask in these closing few moments. So how do we look after this? If this is something that's ultimately so valuable to be prized, if it's something that, that we need regular connection with God to ensure, then how do we ensure that we don't lose it? How do we ensure that we look after it? Well, let's read verses 13 and 14 again. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. I've got a couple of things. So firstly, we need to just watch out for inconsistency. As human beings, we are incredibly inconsistent people. I don't know if you recognize that in your own life. We're, we do well to recognize that we're not always everything that we say we are or that we should be. There's a danger for me as I'm preaching here this morning. Some of you might think, you know, I'd love to see your family life. I'd love to see your family devotions where you're all gathered around the table. I bet the kids have all got their Bibles out and they're highlighting verses. It just must be great to have a preacher as a dad. I just wish it was like that in our family. <laughs> we're, we're weaker in that. You see, there's inconsistency. And that will be true in your life and my life. I, um, we all, all of us will tend to have different bits of heavenly versus earthly wisdom in our life. And... This is what those verses say. It says, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. This is what can happen for us. When we've got stuff going on inside us and we pretend to be what we're not, those things can harbor and produce 
unrighteous fruit. It can produce an earthly kind of wisdom. He says, so you might have bitter envy or selfish ambition going on. You might find in a, in a work situation or in a church situation that you get overlooked for something that you really thought somebody would ask you to do and somebody else gets asked to do that and you think, well, that's not fair. And the way you respond to that is all important. He says, if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast about it or deny the truth. This is what can happen. You do one of two responses. You either start boasting about the fact that you are really the best person to be asked and nobody asks you to do it. We're very British like that. I don't know if you noticed that, but the British people are very uh, good. We, we like to be asked to do stuff. The Bible says things like, he who desires to, to be a leader desires a noble task. Yet British people, they, they don't tend to like to ask to do things. So they, they, they like to be asked. So when, when nobody asks you to lead something or do something, you think, well, nobody asked me. I really wanted to, but nobody asked me. And you get really cross and you harbour resentment and bitterness in your heart rather than just doing what the Bible says. And it's, well, why do you ask? Why do you ask if you could do something? But we can find ourselves building up resentment because of an imaginary conversations in our head of things that have never been articulated or spoken about. Or we can deny it. We can say, oh, I'm not like that. I don't think those sorts of evil thoughts. I'm a Christian. I don't have those sorts of things going on in my mind. I'm pure. I've only got this wisdom from above going on in my life. Well, he says, don't deny it. Don't deny it because actually when you're bitter or resentful, it will draw all the wrong kinds of wisdom into your life and it will produce all kinds of wrong fruit in your life. Where you have inconsistencies in your life, the Bible encourages us to be honest about those things to talk to friends and, and others who are Christians, small group leaders, and, and, and say, like, you know what, I'm, I've got this issue, and I, I just want to talk about it. I, I need to reflect it off somebody and get some wisdom into this so that you can ask God for his grace and his help. Here's the second uh, tenet of application. Wisdom is to be used to change the world. So the very worst thing you can do with wisdom is just sit on it. We're not called to be gurus of people who just acquire the wisdom and then just accumulate. Verse 17 says, The wisdom that comes from above is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. What you'll notice about all of those words used to describe heavenly wisdom is that they're all about serving other people. None of it's self-centered. None of it's simply for me. It's peacemaking. It's considerate. It's submissive to others. It's merciful to others. It's impartial towards others. It's sincere towards others. See, the way to grow in wisdom is to do the works of wisdom. It's to bear the fruit of wisdom. It says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. The world needs peacemakers today. You just look on your newsfeed and you just see there's a need for peace wherever we look. The Bible says that peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. The harvest you always reap as a peacemaker isn't always peace, interestingly enough. 
That's the thing that God wants to bring. Sometimes it gets a reaction from people. Sometimes the fruit of our labor isn't always success and acceptance. And what you find is in the Bible, the greatest pinnacle of wisdom, when you read this book cover to cover, is the cross of Jesus Christ. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul, almost echoing echoing this phrase that we read from James today, he says, where is the wise man? And the point he's making is this, that he says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And back in that culture then, and we might find the case today, today is this, that when Paul started preaching about the cross of Jesus and that how God so loved the world that he gave his son and his blood was shed on a cross for the sins of humanity, there was just a whole load of people. There's a whole load of people who said, that's just great news. Count me in. I love Jesus. Count me in this new community. And there's a whole load of other people who said, that sounds utterly ridiculous. That God would get himself in such a mess as to end up dead on a cross. That sounds wrong. That, sounds, that doesn't sound wise at all. And as we share Christ, we may find that reaction as well. That For some, they will receive it with joy. And others will say, this sounds crazy. What you're suggesting makes no sense to me at all. But as God's peacemaker, as his ambassador, you're reaping a harvest of righteousness, not only in this life, but in the life to come. Today, if you're wanting to come to God, then these are the principles of wisdom. You put God first in your life. You ask him to come in. And you commit yourself to to following him and you ask him to, to give you the power to follow him all the days of your life. That might sound like an insurmountable thing to do, but the Bible says if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. God today wants to help you make steps of faith. Maybe today you've been living according to a different wisdom, a different set of principles. Maybe today you find yourself in a halfway house where you think, well, I'm I'm happy with what God says about this and this, but, you know, I'm, I'm a bit thoughtful about this. Always go with God's wisdom. It's so much better than any earthly wisdom. Let's pray together as we conclude. I want to give you an opportunity, if you don't know Christ here today, to just put your trust in him and to receive his wisdom into your life. If you want to do that, just pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus Christ, I acknowledge that I've been living according to my own wisdom. And I want to turn from that to follow you. Thank you that you died on the cross to take away all my sins, all of my failures, all of my regrets.
please come into my life and cleanse me and make me new and give me the power to live for you. For others here, maybe God's putting his finger on just some issue or some area where you know that God is asking you to put his, your trust in his wisdom to change your view on something based on his word. Maybe you've been holding out on him. And today there's just the call of a loving father just saying, come back to me and I'll do you good. My ways are always good ways. A father who's concerned that wrong wisdom leads us into situations that cause us harm. He's inviting you back with love and mercy today. And I pray, Lord, whoever we are today, I pray that you'd help us to boast in the wisdom of the cross and the amazing gift of your Son to us. We choose to glory in it, to boast in it, and to love it. And thank you for the changes it's bringing about in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.